Hi Aziz, welcome to Network Capital. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I know we last met at uh, Harvard Business School where uh, right. I was there for the India Summit and uh, now a few months hence, here, here we are. So right. um, tell us a bit about your journey. Uh, what do you do today? And then I'm going to try and connect the dots with you in the next 45 minutes. Sure. Uh, hi, Akash. Thanks for having me here, first of all. I've been a sort of big fan of the network capital community and a big sort of enthusiastic member as well. And NC has obviously sort of helped us all connect with interesting people, hire interesting people, all of those things. So glad to be here. Uh, so as, as for me, what I do now is head uh, strategy and digital work at Pratham. Uh, Pratham has been one of India's largest nonprofits working on education hmm. and that's essentially what I am. I'm somebody who wants to work on challenging problems and I think the biggest problem today is education in India. Uh, so that's what I'm doing now. Before that, I've been a reluctant engineer, a management consultant, so gone through the gamut before sort of coming on to, to what I'm doing now. Okay. What was childhood like? Uh, when did you first decide to take up engineering and what was the thought process like? Sure. So... Uh, I sort of went to engineering, I went to IIT Delhi, and uh, the thought process there was actually not very unique. It was sort of, a uh, lot of people were doing engineering, and I was part of the herd. I actually, even at that point, uh, felt that economics might be a better fit for me. But just given a lot of the things that were happening, and a lot of my friends who were going to engineering just sort of went along there. At the same time, I knew even when I joined that I had no intention of actually being an engineer. Uh, I, I've always thought that engineering is about building some sort of dam. Uh, or, or some sort of bridge, and hmm. that to my mind has made it very uncool indeed. Were you a mechanical or a civil? I engineer? was a I was a mechanical engineer, industrial engineer actually. But yeah, so you know, some of this never sort of appealed to me. For me, my mind always sort of focused more on how people worked rather than how things or machine worked. Right. Uh, so I think for me, the the mechanical side of it didn't appeal to me. But I think what IIT did definitely give me uh, and proved to be a sort of complete blessing, sort of to go to IIT was a real grounding in leadership. A real grounding in working with really strong peers. So I think that it, it sort of turned out quite well. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I first went to IIT, I was quite sort of sure that I would hate it and not enjoy myself and wondering why I hadn't gone to Stephens, for example, to do economics. Right. So it was a strange sort of twist of, uh, of many things that brought me to, to engineering. Um, then was there any pressure of any kind to take up engineering, which was not, say, uh, friend pressure, but say from the other, any other angle? I think not really. So, uh, so my parents are both civil servants, and I spent a lot of my childhood in sort of uh, different smaller cities in India. Uh, then I was then sort of in the capital city of Chandigarh, where my parents were based. Uh, and I think there was no real pressure on necessarily doing engineering. It was just that in India, I think it's very hard to look beyond say something like engineering or medicine. Uh, economics is something that 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 often people do. Uh, but I think in general, sort of the IITs have become such a brand and have become such a straightforward path that anyone who feels that, you know, that they're striving for excellence does try to do that. And once if they've got an opportunity to go there, do end up going. Uh, so I think this pressure was more sort of like the ecosystem as a whole and sort of peer group doing all of this uh, rather than anything else. Right. Uh, they say that first you do engineering and then you sort of uh, figure out your life. Yeah. So was that the case for you? Like you mentioned that you were briefly interested in economics. Yeah. Uh, but were you like when you came to IIT, you might have taken some liberal arts subjects. Uh, but I'm interested in understanding a little more about uh, the four years that you spent at IIT. Sure. Uh, what were they like uh, in, in a little more detail? Yeah. And did you think going into IIT that yeah. those four years will turn out the way they did? 
If you have to answer the last part of that, no, absolutely not. Uh, I, I went into IIT uh, thinking that I'll get these four years done and then I'll go off to IIM. And that was sort of the straight, again, path for someone from... A lot of our family. listeners are not from India. So sure. IIM is Indian Institute of Management, which is uh, a management school, a set of management schools in India. Correct, correct. So, I mean, my view was, you know, just get done with your education, go to engineering, then do management and then go on, right? So I think that was the thought when I came in. Uh, I, I think IIT, IIT really, uh, engineering really broadened my horizon the number num, number of ways. I think one is that uh, the IITs have a large range of liberal arts courses as well. So there's a strong humanities and social science stream. And I actually took most of my electives there. I think 30-40% of my courses were in that stream. And that really exposed me to things like sociology, literature, a lot of other things which I feel are sort of more relevant to what I'm doing now than say core engineering. Uh, so that opened my mind up. The other thing was that uh, IIT had a very sort of vibrant ecosystem for extracurricular activities for leadership activities. So I was involved in debate, in public speaking, uh, in sports activities, in student government. So I was doing a range of these things and those gave me a training in leadership which I think is sort of very hard to get uh, in terms of leading very strong people, managing these folks uh, towards particular pursuits, whether it's organizing a college festival or whether it's sort of competing for an intra-college trophy or inter-college competitions. And I think that sort of, I remember there were experiences in, in IIT which gave me the confidence that I could go out and do anything. Uh, and that confidence persists with me today and I think is invaluable today when I'm, if I'm trying to tackle a problem like solving India's education crisis, probably if I did not have that confidence, I would sort of have left that field a long time ago. So I think right. all of that was a key part of that. And I think then, of course, taking me to consulting as the next step. Hmm. Uh, I hadn't really heard of McKinsey or, or something of that sort uh, before that. But while I was there interacting with many people who were sort of trying to go into that sphere, definitely pushed me towards uh, towards that, that aspect. Yeah, no, we're about to come to consulting, but I want to stay a little more sure. on the four years. What was hard at IIT for you? Um, I think what was hard was, uh, I think definitely the academics was challenging. Uh, I think in terms of working on something that I did not like at all. So having to do sort of core courses which were very boring for me. Uh, and I think when I later went to HBS, uh, I think the, tr the transition at Harvard was very, very different and where I was doing something I enjoyed. Uh, so at IIT, I think that was definitely a major challenge for me. Uh, but I think everything else uh, was really good in terms of picking up new skills. And I think again, that was a challenge in the beginning. I remember when I first went to IIT, uh, I, had ne I was quite a nerdy kid in high school, like many people who do sort of who try to do engineering are. And if I used to speak, get up in front of a in front of a crowd or in front of a classroom, I remember my legs used to shake. And in IIT, in the first six months or something, that happened all the time. And I tried to get into debating and public speaking, and then things sort of improved uh, to the point where I became quite a regular. Why did you seat. Why did you start to debate when you came to IIT? Uh, or get more less nerdy less so to speak sure yeah. sure well i think the the fortunate thing was that if you don't like academics right you got to do something else so <laughs> i think if uh, if you've decided already that you know i'm just going to sort of do some particular courses i like and the rest are sort of something to get through hmm. you have to figure out something else hmm. but more than that uh, i'd always been a pretty sort of I, I think i'd always like thinking deeply about subjects i'd always been very curious about things and i think that curiosity is sort of still is a very guiding sort of core feature of what I am today. Mm -hmm. And I think debating really fed, fed well into both of those things. Uh, I think we were sort of delving very deeply into subjects and trying to make sense of them and having head-to-head -head confrontation and, and sort of verbal arguments on this. Uh, and I think that I enjoyed. I remember for the first time, I think, in my life, I remember sort of at 
uh, if I was in a movie, just my mind used to go away from the movie to the debate ta- argument that I had ha- I'd been having the previous night. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first time when I really sort of felt that a particular passion for a subject very, very deeply or for a particular activity very deeply. Yeah. Uh, and then I think that helped me decide also that I'd probably want that feeling for what I do in my life eventually going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm happy to say that that feeling I ha- is something I have now. But that was the first time I actually ever saw it yeah. in my debating days. Were there, was the classroom particularly stimulating or uh, the environment outside classroom? I think the environment outside was very stimulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, all said and done, uh, I, I think the peer group was exceptional uh, uh, and in different ways. So there were some people who were sort of more suave, more sophisticated, came from the bigger cities uh, and sort of had a lot of exposure to different things. There were people who came from small cities and got a very different perspective of, say, small town India, rural India, mm. who were maybe much more street smart than some of us who were from Delhi mm. and who sort of understood the real world and how it functioned better. Right. So I think getting together in this sort of group of people from different inc- sort of income backgrounds, mm-hmm. from different regional backgrounds, and that was, that was quite fascinating to, to sort of be a part of. And even now, some of my closest friends are my batchmates and uh, many of them I see are doing very, very interesting things hmm. uh, just by virtue of the fact that they sort of came from so many different sort of spheres of, of, of backgrounds. Uh, many are entrepreneurs, some are in the corporate sector, some are in social impact. Hmm. Uh, and so I think that that really sort of helped me become sort of much more rounded and holistic as a person Mm. uh, from someone who had sort of seen my parents in the civil service, had seen a particular life, had been in Delhi uh, to to many different types of people. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just a thought experiment. How do you think, do you think IIT is a diverse place intellectually? Um, We know that gender is not probably probably representative of the ideal. But intellectually, do you think it's a diverse place? And if yes, then how do you think it is the case? Because yeah. uh, is diversity a function of an exam that tests a few subjects? Yeah. Is it something that you built in and design? Yeah. I'm just trying to understand any place with a high barrier to entry. Yeah. Can it be a diverse place without design? Sure. I think that's a really, that's a really interesting question uh, and forces me to think. I think, yeah, unfortunately, from the gender point of view, I think definitely uh, it's not as diverse as it should be by any means. Uh, I think in our batch, we had sort of 15% of the class was was female. And I, I definitely think we missed out, uh, the whole class missed out on a very different perspective yeah. in a large sort of number of cases. Uh, for me, I luckily, my girlfriend was from IIT and sort of we married later. And so I could get yeah, some of that. I met her as well with you <laughs> a few right. months back. That's right. So Shruti uh, was, I think, for me, sort of played a role in getting me to interact a lot with that different sort of, uh, sort of different context, different understanding of the world in some way, sometimes, right, in right. some cases. Uh, and I think a lot of people sort of lack that uh, coming out of IIT. So I think that's definitely a, a, a sad part of the experience. Uh, that said, I think in terms of if you look at people from different regions, uh, from different professions, uh, the fact that there's a particular exam uh, and that does not sort of depend on income of people who are coming, maybe on, their, on the family background of people who are coming. So given that those things are out of the equation, uh, it tends to, I think in that way there is a diversity that comes in. So people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions, different uh, regions. Uh, and I think in that way, the perspective uh, becomes different as opposed to maybe uh, some other places where, uh, for example, you might have to pay a lot to get in and right. And then all of a sudden you're sort of basically cutting out anyone below a particular level. 
so in that way we did we did see uh, quite a fair bit of diversity but of course uh, we didn't necessarily have the best thinkers in, in from the liberal point of view liberal arts point of view from the business point of view mm-hmm. and i think howard in that way was, was sort of exceptional right uh, in that in that perspective so um so if you obviously neither of us is an expert yeah. on, on this subject but do you think the kind of diversity that yeah. any high barrier technical institution has Correct. is it uh, do you think it it happens by design or by default uh i think any diversity that is there in the sort of case more or less definitely helps by default it happens by default i mean by design uh, none because of, there's no effort right there's, there's an there's exam no there's no shaping of a class yeah. right like in international organizations yeah. sort of shape a class yeah. uh, you say that this person is from this region from this background hmm. from this profession hmm. and you bring them in in that way hmm. and then you make sure that there are a lot of different sort of perspectives hmm. come in right mm-hmm. and that's a fascinating part of being in the sort of thing i think yeah uh, in india often this is sort of by default and if you're lucky uh you might be you might sort of get stumble upon a group which is more diverse mm-hmm. and if you're unlucky uh then you could sort of end up being hanging out with sort of people that you might have grown up with or you know never sort of differing from that path at all yeah and peer effects are so important peer effects are incredibly important and i think for me one of the most sort of fortuitous thing that happened uh was being uh, somehow and you know in it they throw you into hostel just randomly more or less Uh, yeah, okay that is also also random exactly it's completely random right so and the people you stay with for four years in terms of sharing a room with or being neighboring room with makes a lot of difference uh for me i think the one of the lucky things was that i happened to be thrown into this dorm or hostel right uh which had a culture of really of mentorship where sort of your seniors would mentor you and where you would all sort of strive together uh to win particular trophies whether it's cultural sort of extracurricular trophies or sports yeah. trophies and we were really into it at that time right now looking back it seems pretty like laughable in the in the sense of like none of this really mattered right like what did anything that we did how did it matter in sort of broader to the broader world uh but i think at that time we got into it a lot and i think uh the peer effects and the culture of this sort of thing really i think creates a mentality and a mindset so out of my sort of group of friends uh many of them have success, started very successful companies now mm-hmm. some have gone on to sort of premier mbas or road scholarships or many other things Uh, and i think just being part of that group that drove each other on and sort of that both supported each other but also by example you could see that they're doing all of these things yeah. made a big difference and yeah. i could see that there were pockets uh within the college who were sort of all driving each other on uh for example if you look at the pre med consultancy and who joins there maybe all of these people would be friends mm-hmm. or would know each other and mm-hmm. so if you're part of the lucky group then you get that advantage uh but if you're not part of that lucky group then you sort of get left behind and i i could see many students were embittered who felt that they were part of this out group mm-hmm. and all of that as well so i think peer effects make a big difference and even in terms of the diversity that you get i think sort of it, it happens by luck a little bit right so four years you spent doing a lot of leadership development uh, uh did you think about your career during the four years yeah. and uh, how, uh, did you end up doing something that you truly cared about yeah so uh, for me i think even as i went into iit uh, at the back of my mind i always had this feeling that i i would end up trying to do something socially impactful hmm. uh, and that was sort of a very clear part of my value system a very clear part of my being from early on from early on so okay. my parents are civil servants uh, in the ias and then in in the police service and uh, sort of that's why we've grown up a little bit in smaller towns and seen poverty first hand but more than that have discussed a lot of this stuff over dining table right so our dining table conversations were very different from sort of standard things hmm. we were discussing these issues day by day 
uh, and at the same time, sort of the feeling was that of course things are bad, but there's always some hope associated with it that things are getting better and will get better. Right. So I think that sort of mindset is important to have for someone in social impact. Hmm. Uh, you have to feel the urgency, but also you can't get depressed because if you get depressed, there's enough to depress you for a lifetime, right? Uh, so I think that feeling was always in the back of my mind. It wasn't clear whether the part to follow is government uh, as a way of impact or the private sector or the so- or civil society. Hmm. Uh, and because I wasn't sure what to do, I think I just basically kicked the can down the road uh, by going for McKinsey. Uh, hmm. I think it was a very standard path that, like, very standard way in which people kick the can down the road. Uh, but the idea was that let me sort of uh, go into the business world. Uh, see, get a top-down view of institutions, see how organizations actually work, learn a little bit, hmm. and then I can transition into something that's more impactful. Right. Uh, and so then I, that's when I sort of started prepping for consulting, started talking to people who were working in consulting. Did you co- consider being a civil servant at all? I did, I did, but I think after I came to, to engineering college, I think those thoughts sort of receded a little bit into the background. Uh, Why? I think from what I saw and some of the experiences I had there and in terms of the people I talked to, uh, even from the news I read, I saw that in India at one point, maybe 30, 40 years ago, uh, the only realistic, I mean the biggest realistic ways to impact were through the government. So if you did want to make a big change, the government was the sure Mm. shot, sort of maybe one of the only ways of doing it. I think over time since India liberalized and all of that, I think we could see that the private sector is doing a lot and civil society is doing a lot as well. And then when I studied and I saw and I talked to people, I felt that in many ways, the solutions are not necessarily there. And I think while government can scale up solutions really well, but I think it's hard for government to innovate. Uh, And for me, uh, especially given that I'm quite a curious person by nature, for me, figuring out how this would work, like how do you get a child to learn basic educational skills or, or say in any other sector, right? A parallel problem. I didn't think the solutions are there. And so for me, the, the main thing was, can I come up with that solution and then get government to, uh, to sort of take that up? Uh, and that's when I think I finally decided that rather than the civil service, where I would do a lot of things, but a range of things, let me look more into education, which is something that I was quite passionate about at that time. Government wouldn't offer me a chance to work on education. Mm. Throughout my career, the private sector would. And so let me work on that and try to create something really meaningful. When did you, uh, when did you start preparing for consulting or made up your mind to join consulting? Uh, so I, I made up my mind that you know consulting was going to be a sort of uh, probably my top choice in terms of professions uh, in my third year uh, and I was lucky again uh, again to have a group of sort of friends and mentors who had gone into consulting in the past who could sort of tell me what both what the profession was about but what also the interview process and so on was about uh, and sort of prep for those uh, interviews was lucky to, to sort of get an offer at McKinsey and came there. Uh, And again, the reason for choosing McKinsey at that point was that I had sort of surveyed this quite a bit. Did you have multiple offers from uh, consulting firms? I did. Okay. I did. So I had offers from Bain and BCG as well. Uh, And it was sort of quite, it's it's the the day one process at IITs is quite tricky, but uh, sort of managed to, uh, once I got an offer from sort of McKinsey, I think. So you start preparing in final year? You start, yeah, you start preparing towards the end of the third year and in the beginning of the fourth year and essentially in the final year, the fourth year, in December you have your interviews. So you spend four or five months essentially sort of working with your study groups, prepping case studies, uh, trying to figure out sort of 
you know, uh, the, the fit interview, the case interview. Uh, and I think that process, by the way, is frankly very enjoyable. Uh, essentially, the prep that you do is not to mug up some list of things, but essentially to discuss business problems and try to get to the bottom of them. Again, something that appealed to the curious thinker in me and sort of helped me also realize that consulting is probably a good career choice in the beginning. Uh, and when I was doing this prepping, we also did a lot of research into different consulting firms, came up with your top choices. McKinsey had this PPT that talked about uh, all the exit options that their alumni had and where all they had gone. And in that list, I saw Pratham, I saw the Public Health Foundation of India, I saw the Government of India, I saw some MP offices, I saw the Ashoka Fellowship. And that really sort of swung it for me. Because I could see that this is an organization that is going to probably help me go where I eventually want to go and is probably happy to help me. Uh, go where I want to go. The objective is not that you stay here and you continue with us and you make partner and all that. I mean, obviously that's good if you want to do it, but if you want to, we'll give you a sort of stepping board into uh, creating a lot of social impact. And so I, I sort of fought very hard uh, to to get in so that you could you could have have this exposure. How many people are there at IIT in one class? Uh, around seven hundred. And uh, how many get into McKinsey roughly? So typically, so three people a year or so get into McKinsey at that point. And similar for other consulting, similar for other top consulting uh, firms. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. So it's obviously a fairly competitive process. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, your partner is also a consultant, right? Yes, Shruti was at Bain. So yeah. in fact, we both went through that process together, yeah. and both of us sort of went into consulting. That's right. Right. And how were the two years? at consulting was it what you thought it was yes uh, so i think consulting i i think also and done it was i hadn't gone in with these rosy tin sort of uh, glasses thinking that uh, you know i had gone in thinking that consulting was going to be a two-year gig for me uh, where i'm going to learn a lot and i'll be able to sort of figure out where to go after that in terms of this impact i want to create uh, and i think it sort of fulfilled every bit of that uh, what I loved about about consulting at McKinsey was the intellectual problem solving, the rigor of problem solving, the discussions, uh, the fact that we were dealing with sort of some important problems and were trying to figure out solutions for them. So in terms of analytics, in terms of problem solving, I think it gives you a really good sort of grounding. It also gives you a view of sort of top-down view of organization that you otherwise wouldn't hope to get at 22, I feel. I, th I think it's hard to sort of you know, normally people join organizations at a particular sort of entry level. In consulting, uh, even though you're country, sort of entry level in the consulting firm, but with a client, you are sort of dealing with their CXO level officers uh, or CEO level officers. And I think that helps you understand the organization as a whole, what are the levers that you can pull to really make an organization better and bigger. Mm -hmm. So I think those things I loved, the peer group was fantastic and I continue to believe that some, some of the people I worked with there are among the best people I worked with uh, at any point. Uh, so those things were great. I think in terms of, uh, the other good thing it did was also to convince me that for me the corporate sector wasn't the way going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe if I hadn't done McKinsey, I would always have had the back of my mind that mm -hmm. do I want to sort of go into a McKinsey, go into Google, go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, the grass is always greener and obviously the compensation is also greener. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, uh, but I think my time there definitely convinced me that for me uh, a social impact route is probably going to be a much more fulfilling life. Right. Uh, let's come back to the diversity point that we touched upon sure. earlier. McKinsey also uh, is a high high barrier to entry place. You Correct. said three people from Correct. your college Correct. get in roughly a year. Absolutely. So uh, are, are high profile management consulting firms diverse? Yeah. If yes, is it by design or is it by default? Uh, I'm obviously not uh, asking yeah. you to comment on one specific firm. I'm sure, asking for a generic scenario. So, I think in general, if you look at management consulting, uh, no, I don't think that they are uh, they are diverse or at least close to as diverse as they should be. I think they're more diverse than say the IITs and they try to do that by design. So for example, 
uh, McKinsey during my time was going more and more towards hiring from many different colleges. So when they came in, they only used to hire from the IITs. And then they expanded that to, uh, in my batch, we had people from NLS, uh, from National Law School, from St. Xavier's and uh, St. Stephen's, from LSR. Uh, so from a range of colleges uh, and people, uh, we had chartered accountants, so we had people sort of at least from a sort of academic background had different types of contexts. Uh, that said, uh, the number of women as compared to men was much lower. Uh, I think obviously there was a huge, there's a huge skew automatically in the selection process of getting people who are suave, who can talk well. Uh, and so in that way, sort of we all ended up being a particular type of person, uh, sort of who can be convincing, who can be good in interviews, who can, you know, who can be smooth. And so we might have left out the type of person who is super smart otherwise, uh, maybe extremely good emotionally, maybe extremely good quantitatively, but can't show those skills in a particular interview. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that, so that all, uh, I think made a, made a play in the fact that, you know, if there were people who are not part of the uh, sort of male from IIT type of group, uh, life tended to be quite hard for people who are not in that group. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the women that I've talked with had very, very different experiences from the, from the experience I had. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, I've always been fortunate to be at the top of the pile so in so many ways in terms of perceptions. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm an Indian male uh, from a top engineering college. Uh, and in that way, like pretty sort of from a well-off middle class family. And in that way, sort of every, anyone I talk to, any group I talk to, I get some respect. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you look at people from different contexts, maybe different gender, uh, different sort of family background that has given them maybe maybe different skills and not the sort of skills I had, I think they often felt alienated, they felt marginalized, uh, they felt that you know people were judging them for being different from who they themselves were. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the tragedies that, right, if you have a bunch of people from IITs and IMs, uh, if you're not from that stream, uh, you you sort of can get left out. And remember, even in the beginning, right, as we joined, the people from the IITs were placed on projects, uh, sort of from day one, uh, because the, the sort of the staffing used to often happen from demand from the manager of the team, right. So if there's a team, they would demand that okay, we we have these profiles in front of us, we'll get these people. But people from the IITs were picked up day one, and other people who were at least as good as as the people from the IITs sort of were on the bench for for two weeks or or for a month, right. So all of these things were in play and. Uh, so it's hard to think of, of solutions, but I think especially on the gender part, that should be like easy to do if you really want to do it. I think from the academic sort of background part, they were trying to do it. So I think attempts are being done, but still some way to go. Yeah, I think that's where it gets really interesting, right? Yeah. Because the, if whatever the manager is asking for, yeah. the HR person cannot go and say that, no, no, I will not give you X, yeah. I'll give you Y. But I think that's where the company has to, or any company, this is obviously not this restricted not just, to yeah, one, yeah. one sector has to say that, okay, these are our policies and yeah. recommendations. And let's also experiment and see. Yeah. And I think that's where sort of you have to put your money where your mouth is, right? Yeah. Uh, in the beginning. And this is something that, to be very honest, right? I've even seen at, uh, when I was at Pratham, right? Uh, when I was hiring. Um, and I always sort of... I'll tell you an interesting story about that. But sure. uh, yeah, but please, tell, sure. go ahead. Yeah. So I've always prided myself on, you know, being this very liberal person. Uh, who would try their ex absolute best that, you know, would always be unbiased, right? Like, so whether a person from a particular religion or a particular gender would make sure that, you know, to have a diverse team all of that. And I remember like one and a half years or so when I was sort of in charge, I had no one else to, like, I can't sort of pass the blame on anyone else, right? I was full, I had full autonomy of who I wanted to hire in my team. 
uh, somebody pointed out to me that you know uh, there aren't any Muslims in your team. Hmm. And why are there not any? Muslims? Which year was this? This was around 2016. Oh, so this was pre-business school hiring. This is pre-business school hiring, and I was a Pratham for around four four years. Somebody who's joining you right now is from Network Capital Premium. Yeah. Uh, okay. I will uh, we'll discuss that. Great. Great. Yeah. So. Uh, no, and you know, that was a shock to me uh, and I, I tried to rationalize it and I said, you know, we don't get many applicants uh, somehow uh, hmm. who are Muslim uh, and I think that then really struck home, right, that uh, again, what is my responsibility? Is it just to say that if people are not applying, uh, I should not even bother to try and get somebody from that perspective on? Because often in communities, right, like if some people from a particular segment are, are in your team, then they will refer more people and those people will apply and those people will come into your team. So if you excluded some sort of segment from the beginning, then the chances of them coming in later, unless you make conscious effort to maybe go to particular colleges or to reach out to particular people uh, or to particular academic backgrounds, you're not really going to get in a diverse pool of candidates. Uh, and I think at that point, then sort of uh, since then, I've been trying to make a much more conscious effort that can I actually really make a diverse team, get people to grow. And I think that's mm. the sort of thing that any big employer or small employer would have to do. Uh, and I think those things fundamentally right now, intrinsically, uh, managers don't believe this. Managers don't believe that they should do this, that they should make this sort of effort. Uh, and I think the only way of making it happen is by surrounding uh, how the world is changing is by women and people of different religions and, and different castes and different communities uh, becoming much more integrated uh, with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And so you understand in a much more personal level that this is important. Uh, when my wife complains of the issues that she had at consulting firms and of the challenges she faced, then that's when I understand that uh, when I was sort of having a fun time and a gala time, uh, there were a lot of people who were not having the same experience I was. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that really sort of opens your eyes a lot more. And a lot of it becomes clear in, in retrospect, right? Yeah. Because you, you both went to the same college, very similar career trajectories. Yeah. And maybe looking back, she has the clarity, which while she was going through, maybe it was harder to, uh, to see. Absolutely. So two years finished at McKinsey, good learning. Um, then you decided to join Pr- Pratham, I gather. That's right. Um, you were clear that you wanted to get into the social space, which you did, but there are many ways to enter yeah. this space. Yeah. So how did you go about choosing it and yeah. how were the two years roughly at Pratham? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. And I actually spent a couple of months, three or four months actually, just doing a 360 degree sort of survey of the social impact space. This was a big move for me. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, you know, what is going to be the best way for me to sort of learn things. Uh, to, and you know, make sure that I'm able to have an impact. And many people go into policy organizations, many people go into funding organizations. Uh, and those are two of the very standard paths. Uh, and especially from McKinsey, that's where most people are going. So you would go into a Gates Foundation, you would go mm-hmm. into an international agency like the World Bank or something, right? Uh, for me, choosing to go to something like Kapratham, uh, I think was, a, was sort of part of my intrinsic sort of desire, which was always... Uh, can I actually help in solving the the major issue at hand? And I felt the issue was that how to sort of educate kids, how to at scale and how to help kids get basic literacy, numeracy or how to help youth become employable and sort of start earning livelihoods is something that's not been solved. So if you don't know the solution, then how are you going to find something that's going to make it happen or how are you going to advocate for policy that's going to make a change? Mm. So for me, I think going into an implementation organization was important from that point of view. Uh, And I think the... So I think that's how I started thinking about these things. Uh, at that time, I also had a pretty romantic view 
uh, of sort of implementation of being on the field of understanding uh, you know what really are the challenges from the ground up and i think that romantic view worked out for me uh, i think being at the top level sort of and hearing second hand from folks or working or funding organization that are working gives you some perspective and it's important perspective but really like managing programs seeing how to scale them see what are the challenges of working in an organization where maybe all your staff are uh, are low income themselves uh, are from a particular educational background themselves uh, i think that gives you a very different sort of perspective right um that's amazing so two years you did uh, at pratham i did around three and a half years at pratham oh so two years mckinsey two years mckinsey and three, three years at pratham three or so years. so i went into harvard with around five years of experience five years of experience at that time. um Tell me, when did you apply it? When did you think of business school? Yeah, or was that always a plan? It's an interesting story. I think uh, it it was always a plan, and then it became not the plan, and then then it became the plan again. I think that's so interesting to hear, and there's a reason that I'm asking you sure. because many people try and put something social because it looks good on the CV and makes for a good essay. But for you, yeah. it's very clear that you always cared about this space. Yeah, yeah. So walk us through this uh, MBA not MBA journey. Yeah. So. I think when I was still back in in undergrad, uh, and at that point you still sort of tend to be influenced. You, you're not very clear on what you really want to do, to be honest. And so then it it was very appealing. So I thought of the Harvard Business School two plus two program, and the idea was you know uh, that let me just apply, then I'll be relaxed. I can do whatever I like. Uh, and then I sort of applied. I got to to the interview, and then they didn't get an offer at that point. And uh, obviously I was quite irritated, but luckily. sort of got through to mckinsey had a had a sort of good career and then went into social impact at that point i finally decided not now you know this is it uh, i have done a lot of brand building uh, i have been to sort of good colleges good work uh, now let me just focus on doing something that i'm really passionate about which is social impact and forget all this mba business which for me is at that point was just about sort of extending my brand further right it was sort of just another fail safe option just another sort of insurance policy insurance policy yeah. Absolutely, just another insurance policy. So I was like, "How many insurance policies do I need?" Yeah. So I went into Pratham saying that I'm not going to go to business school or policy school. I'm going to just sort of build a really impactful model and scale it. And then I did that for two years, uh, never thinking about business school. And then in the third year, there were a number of reasons why sort of I started thinking about business school again. Uh, and I think one part of it was that the more I worked at Pratham, the more I started thinking about. uh in fact there's something that you work, of course work a lot in uh, thinking about the future of work hmm. the future of education how will this work so at that point i was heading a program at pratham uh, that worked on vocational tra- uh, vocational training uh, we were training around 25000 youth to get skills and get jobs uh, very large budgets we had a team of around 1200 people uh, and i had the opportunity to lead that hmm. which is something that i had never imagined i would have to be very honest uh, but at the same time i could see that uh is it, I, i was sort of still wondering is there a way to sort of capture kids young and to prepare them for a workforce that may very look very different from the workforce for which i am training youth in now and what is the part to go there so i think just trying to figure out that out was quite hard and so thinking that let me see if i can sort of uh, step out of my sort of bubble that i've been in for some time right uh, focusing on a particular project and start thinking a little bit more on fundamentally what education is how can we sort of improve that take two years out and sort of introspect a little bit more on that and that was a big sort of uh, thing and for me the mba was a way to introspect in a guilt free way nobody is telling me that you're just bumming around on the beach uh, you're doing your mba and you're thinking at the same time so that sort of was a big thing for me and then the other thing was brand and networks i think over time i sort of realized some the importance of uh, sort of building your personal brand and how that can really sort of amplify your leverage 
and I think building my brand at some point coming from a fairly low-key family was something that was quite anath anathemic to me. Uh, it sort of talked about promoting yourself. I mean, the, the connotation I had of brand building was promoting yourself, uh, putting yourself out there, sort of bragging about yourself. Uh, but I think over time I saw that, you know, brand building and sort of ne having networks is going to be crucial in this sort of sector, especially where a lot of the pe leaders are people who have come from the corporate sector or who have been there for 30 years. So at 25, uh, if I want to be looked upon, or at 30, if I want to be looked upon at a par with people who have worked in the sector for 20 years, uh, or who have sort of maybe worked at Google for 15 years or Microsoft for 15 years and have come from there, uh, maybe I need some more strings to my, uh, to my bow. And so I think the brand and networking of it was a big part of it. So brand, networking, getting some time out to really think about things, those were the things I went in for. I think I emerged with a lot more. Uh, later, uh, which I never anticipated I would, but at least I knew that I would go in and at least get these basic minimum things. Yeah, you know, all, always uh, the whole aspects like networking uh, and all are considered uh, very weird in, in middle class Indian families or in many other parts of the world as okay. well. However, the, we live in a networked world and on Network Capital Premium, we study these mental models one a day. Sure. So the one that we studied two days back was... Sure. Uh, there are three things that you need to do in order to make exponential impact okay. in anything. One is that you need to find what you are distinguished at. Like everyone is great at something. I think sure. intelligence is a discovery problem. Sure, sure. Then you have to get really, really, really good at that. Right. And third is that you have to tell loads of people about what you're doing so that you can discover Absolutely. points of collaboration. And you Absolutely. can't do anything without it. Edison, Einstein, all of them were exponentially good at all of these all three of these. things. So completely agree. I think you're absolutely right. And for a long time, I think I was become really good at what you're sort yeah. of doing and then people will come to you. And I think it took some time to figure out that this is a little naive. Uh, people will come to you, but you have to make yourself available to them. Yeah. People have to know what you know. People have to know what you're doing. Yeah. And without that doesn't happen. Right. And I think, again, two concepts at HBS. I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but because we're on such an interesting sort of topic, uh, sort of still sort of stay in my mind. Uh, I think one concept is sort of uh, a framework that we learned on how to create impact, uh, social or otherwise. Uh, it, that is sort of, you can be three things. You can be an agitator, you can be an innovator, and you can be an orchestrator. So you, you can sort of call attention it. to a problem. Love it. Yeah. Then you can in innovate to solve the problem. And then you can orchestrate these large-scale sort of collaborations or sort of these groups which will help to solve the solution. And for me, it was really about figuring out that I do want to be on the innovator side, but if I just innovate and I'm not on the orchestrator side, then it's probably quite worthless to innovate. And a lot of people who have innovated small solutions, but really figuring out how to make that happen at a country of India's size or the world's size is a, is a big thing. Uh, so that was one concept that's really stuck in my mind. And I think the other thing is something about uh, being a tri-sector athlete. Uh, and that's something that I'm sure you, you would have heard of that if you really want to create change, there are three major sectors for, for change. There's a private sector, there's a public sector, and there's a civil society sector. And uh, the world probably needs right, what the world probably needs right now are people who can play across these three. Yeah. And that's how I sort of look at some of my career going forward. I, I, I want to spend, say, 20 years of my life, and I won't look beyond 20 because who knows, but 20 years trying to sort of change education in India. Uh, right now I'm working in civil society and it's, powerf it's powerful, it's exciting and I'm hoping to come up with some great solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, but 10 years later, mm. uh, the government of India is starting lateral entry. If I get a chance to come into government at a senior role and really sort of try to expand this and strengthen this, uh, that would be something I would love to do. 
uh, and so not just working with government right now, but working in a government capacity, or then maybe go to the private sector and seeing how to sort of you know use the capacity of the private sector in terms of maybe the technology, maybe the know-how to really build this up, right? So I think that's also a way that I think people in the social impact sector should think of how they can really build up their skills. Absolutely. In fact, even governments around the world are changing. I'm not sure. saying for the good or for the bad, but right. like leaving politics aside, right. uh, there are many organizations which are, say, Niti Aayog in India or, say, White House Fellowship in other parts, which give young p- professionals who've done uh, well in with their life come and work in the government for some time Absolutely. and then feel free to do whatever they like. Sure. So, yeah, I, I love both of these frameworks. In fact, in the show notes, I'll probably put that and uh, people would... Uh, uh, really benefit from it. Sure. Uh, so you decided to just jumping back again. Yes, yes. So uh, applying to business school, I'm assuming GMAT would not have been a big problem for you. Quantitative skills would have been up to the mark. And, sure. Uh, so, but did you prepare at all for GMAT? Uh, um, I, I did prepare for the GMAT. Uh, uh, GMAT was not a problem for me. I, I do okay at sort of standardized tests. Uh, so I, I spent a little bit of time uh, just doing some practice tests and, and all of that, right? Uh, doing some of the problems and seeing where I had some issues and, and doing some of the problems. And like consulting, it's not a boring preparation, right? It's just yeah, like it's simple math, basic English. And math is yeah. a lot of class, yeah. sort of school level yeah. math uh, and sort of other than that, it's comprehension. So it's it's a fun process, right? And in general, I think GMAT was fun and so was the rest of the process. I right. actually did enjoy, I remember I rolled my eyes, I, I read somewhere that, you know, business school prep is actually helps you figure out your life or something. Mm-hmm. And I, well, I sort of rolled my eyes a lot. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, if you haven't figured out your life till now, then I don't think business school prep is going to really help you too much on that. Yeah. Uh, but I thought there was a sort of kernel of truth to that. Uh, really? Eventually. Tell us more. I agree with you, by the way. I think just yeah. the applying process to, if you do it honestly, yeah. you learn a lot about yourself. Because yeah. that's actually the first time yeah. you think about questions like what matters to you most and why. Correct. Why did you do what you do? It's it's interesting, but no, yeah, curious to hear your reason. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in the in the sort of the, the sort of introspection you have to do, right, to try and sort of figure out in your essay some of these sorts of things, uh, it helps you get clarity. So, for example, one of the things that helped helped me get clarity on was what did I really enjoy about my time at Pratham? What did I really like? Why did I want to do it? And I think that was part of sort of my my essay, right, so to say. Another thing that helped me figure out was what do I want to do in the long term. Uh, and I knew it was social impact. Uh, I'd been heading this massive vocational training program for a long time. But what is the path forward? Is this something I want to continue doing? And even after business school, do I want to sort of start a company of my own? Uh, do I want to sort of go into a large company? What exactly do I want to do, right? And I think many people sort of write a story that the that they feel that the application officer wants them to answer. So you write something that is going to be like, you know, that you feel is not going to be sort of unsafe. Uh, people will generally want it and, and so you put that down. Uh, but I think for me, uh, I always wanted to be quite honest. Uh, and for me, the lucky thing was that business school was not the end all and be all. Uh, sorry, not the be all and end all. It wasn't as if I was uh, dying know, to just dying going to go. To I was actually sort of, I thought, doing quite well. And I would have, if I hadn't sort of gone to, to some of the places that, that I had in mind, I would have continued on. So for me, it was, let me be honest. Let me figure out what I really want to do. Let me put that down. And then if the business school feels that, you know, they can help me with this and that I'm a good candidate for them, then I should go. Otherwise, that's fine. Uh, and I think I, that helped me really figure out, for example, what I loved about the work I was doing. Therefore, what did I want to do in the future? Uh, therefore, sort of, uh, you know, what, what are the next steps for me after business school for which I should prepare during business school? Yeah. Um, 
I want to ask this question. Feel free to not answer, sure. by the way, because uh, one shouldn't reveal too much about what they wrote in the application. Yeah. But uh, what you wrote in the application about what you want to do, yeah. is it very different from what you are doing today? If yes, tell us. If not, sure. don't tell us. It's actually uh, exactly the same as I wrote. Yeah. Uh, this is very uncommon, by the way. I have seen that people sort of change what they do. And I think often it, it's because people are figuring themselves out. You know Richard Thaler, right? The Nobel, yes, of course. The the nudge, the nudge, nudge, yeah. So he makes a lot of fun of MBA applicants, by sure, the way. Sure. So he has, okay, fine. Yeah, I know how these applications work. Right. He's on record saying that, oh, they'll put in something in Africa yeah. and then they go and work in, you know, this industry, this space. He makes yeah. a lot of fun and he says it in a much yeah. more eloquent way than I did. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so tell us about what you wrote and what you're doing today. So what I wrote was that uh, when, I, when I finished off uh, my MBA, I want to come back to a leading development sector organization. Uh, and I mentioned, in fact, that Pratham is something that is going to be possibly, I mean, that is a very probable choice. Uh, lead and sort of develop and lead large-scale programs there and so that's what I want to do and in the long term I want to be someone who's sort of seen as the visionary in the education space someone who's come up developed things scaled things and sort of is impacting education in India in a big way uh, both at the policy levels but also at the implementer level and I always mention that in education I feel for me the route to, to impact is through uh, uh, implementer going to policy rather than a policy maker through and through or a policy maker going yeah. to government. So I, I actually wrote this word for word and uh, I hesitated a lot before I put that in. Because some of my friends and advisors or, or, or sort of mentors uh, told me that, you know, this may not be sexy enough. Hmm. Uh, right? Like people want you, to, I mean, people, you know, the, the application committee may want you to say. Tell that, a more interesting story or tell. Yeah, yeah. like say that you start your own organization yeah. or spell out this really cool model. that Or you throw in AI in, somewhere. Throw in AI, throw yeah. in uh, future work. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so throw in, you know, AI, throw in all the yeah. buzzwords, yeah. right? Uh, so, uh, so, I mean, I was sort of, I was a little confused at that point, right? So the idea was that, uh, okay, I, I mean, I, th I think that, of course, like tech and all of that is going to be a big part of the solution, but I know many other things like social sort of community and all of that is going to be a big part as well. So what do I do? And then again, because for I had relatively less to lose, uh, I didn't care so much, I decided that I'd be honest and I'd go with this. In fact, I had a really good conversation with my interviewer uh, where I was very clear as well that, you know, there's a very good chance that I'll go back to Pratham. I'm continuing to engage with them because I enjoy the work, I enjoy the organization, the mm. leadership. Uh, and I think they're doing the most impactful work that there is to do in this space right now. And uh, that's where I'm sort of suited to create a lot of impact. And I, I think to their credit, uh, and despite all the sort of cliches you hear from admissions consultants and others, uh, they were very open to that. And I think they appreciated that. So uh, that worked out, I think, quite well for me. No, that, that's amazing and so refreshing to hear. Um, that uh, schools are giving people a chance because nothing is as honest as an honest story. Yeah. I think if you're going through a dilemma, which most people are Absolutely. in your early, mid-20s, early 20s, late 20s. Absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you articulate the reason and rationale, everyone will give you a chance. Where things go crazy is where when people uh, give a perfect vision without the backing. Absolutely. Or vice versa. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think so many people sort of have worked, say, do 
uh, X years, sort of five years at McKinsey, and then suddenly they they write in their essay that they will go to Africa, right, and do something entirely else. Yeah, you have to. I'll send you the link of this Richard Teller article. Yeah, it's a it's a video. Yeah, yeah. Before pre Nobel Prize yeah. video, it, it's hilarious. Sure. Yeah. To be honest, I mean, I think a lot of my friends, very close friends, have changed what they're doing, and I think that business school is a process of discovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a process of sort of figuring out what you want to do. And I was given the advice, and I did follow it as well, of exploring many other things. So, but did you? Uh, I actually, so uh, I continued engaging with Pratham very closely. I continued being involved, helping out in different things. Uh, at the same time, I talked to many, many different organizations and people to pick their brains. Yeah. Uh, so this wasn't with sort of context to a job that sort of I'd already discussed that I would come back to Pratham. But it was definitely with the view of broadening my horizons and mm. seeing what is out there in terms of models people are building, yeah. innovative things people are doing. Because there are, there are people doing great things out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent the summer in the US uh, doing a tech work uh, as a product manager. Again, something quite different from me. And I felt that... Uh, so for me, I didn't want to go into Google and work on Google search because that's very different. But I felt working on an education technology product and seeing sort of how they're helping kids learn. Mm-hmm. That's something that's very relevant. Right. So I think I broadened my horizons a lot in that way, mm-hmm. while at the same time sticking true to what I felt would be good uh, in terms of uh, what I wanted to do later. But I think that revaluation was there. And I think to Pratham's credit, they had actually always told me that take a call on this later. Like come back like two years later, you decide what you want to do. We don't want to hold you to anything right. Uh, right now. And I think if you can come up with that sort of understanding with an organization, uh, I think that's probably a good way to go to business school. If you're coming, going to come back to an organization, many people do, whether to mm. consulting or mm. to somewhere else, uh, make sure that sort of you have the flexibility to think outside and at least are able to pick up a lot of other things. Right, yeah. Get the best to to, to this area that you care a lot about. Absolutely. Again, like this is a question that you need not answer, but sure. uh, how about finances? Did that cross your mind? Uh, it definitely did. Uh, I think that was a big part of, you know, why originally I had decided not to do an MBA. Uh, because often if you do an MBA, then you spend a few years paying it off. So you spend the two years of your MBA, uh, and then you spend maybe five years, three years, four years paying it off. Uh, and for me... But uh, I haven't heard of too many people uh, take less than three years. Three years. Correct. Yeah. So I think people, yeah. So people spend like, so at, at least you take five years, right? Yeah. In this whole sort of journey uh, of sort of getting done with your loans and all of that. And for me, the time when I could take the greatest risk where I could have the freshest thoughts, could make the biggest impact, would be right after business school. Hmm. Uh, I didn't want to spend sort of three years out uh, doing something that I wasn't... Paying for your insurance. Paying for my... Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I didn't want to pay for my insurance. And uh, I think uh, that's always been in my mind, actually, to be honest. Like people have always said that why don't you go to the corporate sector, spend 10 years, make partner, make uh, CXO, whatever, and then come back and your sort of ability will be... 10x to do what you like as opposed to what you are doing now. Right. And for me, always one of the phrases that sticks into my mind is that, you know, uh, sort of the discount rate on life is very high. (laughs) So basically in your life, if you are sort of every like the day tomorrow or today is sort of much more important than some years down the road. Yeah. And if you're unhappy now or tomorrow, then that's not worth it for something that may happen sometime in the future. So yeah. my mind is always that. So that's, that's such a great mental model. We should, we'll do that over the weekend. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, this was said by actually the I, I copied it from the founder of Kareem. Yeah. Uh, the the Middle Eastern Uber. Yeah. Yeah. And it resonated with me hmm. uh, in terms of sort of how I felt about life. 
but yeah, so I think in terms of finances, what worked out was that I started exploring a little bit more to see is there a way that I can actually avoid paying for the insurance. And mm-hmm. then it turned out that some of the business schools in the US and some of the policy schools as well, uh, including Harvard, have a, have programs where they will pay for the insurance. Hmm. So they realize that people from the social impact space uh, haven't earned too much. Uh, and, and they haven't. I had taken a sort of 80% pay card when I had moved from McKinsey to Pratham. Uh, so they don't have too many savings, and later if they want to come back into the same space, it's not going to be possible. So they, uh, so Harvard at least had a loan repayment assistance program. That program helps you to repay your loan if you go into the social impact space after graduating. Right. So for example, now I've come back into Pratham, uh, I'm earning a compensation that is below, say, a market salary or a salary that I might have earned if I had gone into some other sort of industry. Uh, so so uh, HBS is actually helping me pay back that loan. Yeah. So I think that's something that... When you say helping me, is it like partly paying it off? Yeah, so they give me a grant every year while I work in the social impact space for up to 10 years to pay off my loan in that year. So right. example, this year, suppose I have my installment for the loan is around $10,000. Right. Uh, they will give me that grant of $10,000, which I can use to pay back the loan. Yeah. Uh, I think it's such an important policy. Yeah. Otherwise, I just feel that social sector, brilliant people are just underpaid and yeah. then end up either you know, just not investing enough in themselves to yeah. become yeah. Uh, better professionals Absolutely. or just like living in a, in a compromised state. Absolutely. And I think the social sector needs to pull its socks up. Uh, yeah. And in the US it has to some extent, uh, but in India as well to realize that if you want to get the best talent, yeah. you have to pay somewhat competitive salaries at least. Yeah. And it's beginning to happen a bit. Yeah. Uh, so thankfully, even in the government. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think government, again, it's super, it's critical. Uh, I mean, I've always been horrified in the government and my parents are both in the government, uh, right, and pretty senior sort of now uh, at, at very senior levels. Uh, and I remember that, you know, to be honest, uh, what I sort of earned one or two years into uh, into sort of my consulting, consulting life probably... <laughs> was what they're earning at the end of their careers. Yeah. Uh, and they are from the best colleges in India uh, and have the best academic background and could have been doing anything they liked, uh, to be very honest, right? And I think much brighter than I am. Uh, so, from that perspective, I always felt that, you know, the government right now un- uh, loses talent uh, because you have so many of these jobs available now in the private sector and I think they are now changing the models, uh, at least especially in terms of lateral entry, getting in specialists and experts yeah. and so on, on, on sort of higher And also, level. I think uh, there are some pay commissions which have increased which the base, base salary. Um, just the last section of uh, sure. of of the interview. So today, what does a day in your life looks like? You've yeah. come back from HBS, you've joined Pratham. Uh, in what capacity have you joined and how do you spend your hours at work? Yeah, so uh, I've come back to Pratham as the National Head of Strategic Initiatives. Hmm. Uh, so my role there sort of covers a range of things. Uh, on on one front, one of the sort of major initiatives I'm, I'm sort of, I'm leading is on how can we use technology across all aspects of Pratha mm-hmm. uh, and especially to aid student learning. Uh, so I think what we're seeing is that more and more in India with the data revolution and the mobile revolution, mm-hmm. uh, technology is becoming a tool uh, to help kids learn. Uh, this is sort of more prevalent right now at the Baiju segment, which is sort of the top 10, 20% of the, of the population. But even for the bottom 40%, technology should be a popular enabler. And we have some very interesting models where we are working in sort of community groups 
with uh, groups of kids getting tablets and accessing content and doing sort of activities both on the tablet and outside. Mm. So we are trying to spread that. <coughs> Pratham works right now with around uh, six to seven million kids every year mm. uh, through government partnerships or directly. And we are trying to see how we can use technology to really accelerate learning uh, for these kids between grades one to eight. So that's one part of my mandate to help sort of spread the innovation that we're developing in technology across uh, Pratham. Uh, the other thing that I'm doing is, again, in terms of helping and strengthening Pratham as we are scaling up. Hmm. Uh, Pratham sort of is one of India's largest uh, non-profits, is well known for the ASER survey on the policy side, uh, for its sort of uh, pedagogic and sort of innovation models for primary education. Uh, and over the last four or five years, we have sort of doubled in sort of size and scale in numbers. And there it's a very simple problem of how do you scale an organization in terms of looking at things like uh, finances or people or processes uh, and institutionalizing a uh, sort of a, a, a non-profit which has worked as a movement always into something that is going to be there for the long term and making impact for the long term. So I'm heavily involved with our functions on finance, on people uh, to help scale some of that up. Right. Um, and a day in your life? Yes, yeah, sorry, I forgot to answer the question. Uh, so a day in my life. So I think... Uh, if I was to look at it, right, uh, what I'm doing right now, some part of my day may go into uh, sort of monitoring and figuring out what our, say, digital program is doing. Uh, so looking at sort of what are the latest results to come in from the field, in the from the 100,000 kids who are sort of using the tablets, looking at some of the data, suggesting innovations uh, to our field teams, even getting to the level of suggesting trainings that can be done and so on. So getting into it very operationally even, uh, but looking also at a high level at that. So that's one part of it. The second part may be looking at a $35 million organization mm. uh, and trying to figure out how our finances are looking, what the working capital flow is, to, is going to be like. And the third part may be in the evenings, uh, maybe looking at, we have 6,000 employees now uh, across Pratham at different, different that's levels. That's so impressive. Yes, it, yeah. so it's one of the largest organizations, but with these 6,000 people, sort of how do we make sure that they're getting more and more effective all the time and are able to help these 6 million kids that they are reaching. Yeah. And so really figuring out the culture part of it, the organization part of it, uh, the capacity part of it. So I think all of these things are happening and uh, for me a large part of sort of the role that I'm doing now is working across functions, working with the CEO, working with sort of the heads of say finance, uh, heads of people, heads of digital to really drive what the organization should be going, going sort of further on. Uh, yeah. along with the long-term sort of strategy and vision in line with the strategy and vision of the organization. So I think that's the challenge for non-profits in India today often. Uh, sort of the, 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 the system is becoming mature and we have to figure out how the organization sort of can grow in line with that, with that growing scope. No, oh, absolutely. I mean, we just need more people like you to commit to their mission and do uh, do things that they truly care about. Aziz, this has been a delight. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, we got to do a follow up now with Shruti and see how many because yeah. you have both of you have so many shared experiences. We'd love to have her as well and do a follow up with you one year from now. Oh, that would be wonderful. Because yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd, I'd be very happy to and Shruti is doing the more she's gone the startup route and doing the exciting uh, startup uh, sort of living the exciting startup life. So I think uh, both of us sort of be happy to come back at any point and sort of chat yeah. with you. No, I briefly spoke with her about uh, sure. the thing that she's building. It'll be great to have her. But again, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, also Shruti is not here, but thank you to her as well. She's been an integral part of uh, the the building of the community that we are seeing on NC. Thanks. Yeah, we are both big fans. So Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Bye.